This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. Musicbed represents over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music for you to license. Also, check out musicbed.com for more information on their subscription service, giving you unlimited access for all your projects. As a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. A lot of a lot of like smaller projects, I feel like it's just become such a big line item to for the testing and everything that it's it, it's huge. Yeah. No, I did a movie back in November. It was a little movie that's uh, actually in Sundance this this oh, month. Oh, congrats! And uh, a little horror movie, and we we all um, quarantined in the one place, lived in yeah. trailers, and uh, uh, it it worked. That worked really well. Uh, for for a low budget movie, yeah, you know, we just yeah. had a bunch of cabins and and trailers, and we got tested every week or so, and yeah. nobody in, nobody out, and Man, just, you cool. know, if you have the script to do that, to 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 live in the one place and yeah. shoot in the yeah. one place, then it, it it worked really well. What's the uh, what's the film called? It's called uh, the Blazing World. Oh, uh, so I just got the um, the like online pass for the whole thing, which I will say it's sad that everything is shut down, of course, but yeah. I think being able to experience Sundance virtually, I am pretty excited about. I think it's great because you're not standing in the cold trying to get into it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to get into a screening. Yeah. Um, so I was just making all my reservations yesterday. So I'll have to make sure that I have that one. Uh, oh yeah. I need to do that, I guess. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> what festival you, uh, you usually go to Shane? No, I, you know, the last time, I think the last time I, I had one in there was back in 2001. It was a movie called Urbania. Um, but I, and I used to do, after that, I did the workshops, the director's workshops, that uh, if anybody doesn't know about them or hasn't gone to them, they're, they're a blast. Um, yeah. Uh, you, you go up there. I went up there as a DP, and and uh, you, you, the director could choose to work on a scene the whole month or mm. different oh, yeah. different scenes. It's always their most difficult scenes, and they have to bring their own props. And you know, you could be, it could be set in New York City, but you're walking down a pine tree <laughs> lane, yeah. so it leaves a lot to the imagination. But it's 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 a real fun for crew and, and for directors. So is that for like a lab or something? It's that, a lab. Yeah. It's okay, a Sundance yeah. lab. Yeah. That's cool. I haven't done that in a while. Cause, um, basically it, 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 these days it costs you money to go because you're losing work <laughs> when yeah. you're not working. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Obviously there's seasons of work where you're doing more feature work, you're doing more mm -hmm. commercial work, but how have you sort of, you know, over the years, uh, found the balance between the two as a cinematographer? Um, it's only recently that I've really found that balance. Um, I'd say in the last four years or so. Mm. Um, and that I wasn't doing many features and then after um, Everybody Wants Some, when I got an agent, she started putting me up for features. 
features. And it's like, I mean, I love doing features and I love doing commercials. Was that the first time you got an agent? Yeah, <laughs> it was. I, I'd never really sought, sought one art. And I was sort of doing, doing fine yeah. on my own. But the, what you realize about the agent is they get the scripts and they also negotiate a way better deal for you. So they're, yeah. they're worth, they're worth their 10% every time hmm. because you know, I'm not, when it comes to money, it's like, I want to do the job is, you know, I'm not, I'll do it for, well, you know, I'm not saying whatever money, but within yeah, reason, it's not the first thing. Yeah. It's not the first thing that comes up. It's like, this is a great job and I really want to do it, but you need, you need somebody to fight for you on the money side. And that's, that's just a language that I don't necessarily speak, but agents <laughs> and producers, right. yeah. they speak that language and they don't get offended by it. You know, it's like, it's the language of, of finance, you know? So yeah. was, was there something that early on sort of turned you off to the idea of having an agent? Um, Cause your work is, has been strong for so many so many years you know what i mean like i, I guess yeah if it's something personal no 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 um i, I don't think it was maybe laziness or just <laughs> you know uh it was going along just just fine um <laughs> it wasn't uh you know it was ever like every year it's like i need to get an agent i need to get an agent but you know i i guess i didn't really re realize that the the, the real advantages of, of having one. It, it, it legit, legitimizes you, you know, especially living in Texas. Mm. Um, it, when jobs come from out of state, it's like, oh, he's a local DP. And, uh, you know, I, I'm probably, we're all guilty of the same thing. We go to another state yeah, and, you know, well, he's a local director or he's a local DP. But those guys travel all the time. They just choose to, to, live where they live. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not, I mean, I work, I work in England, I work in Ireland, uh, you know, I work and, uh, that's, I have a British passport and Irish passport and I'm a resident here. So it's, you know, it's, it's pretty nice to be able to mix it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, Shane, both. So, uh, Christian lives in new Orleans. I live in North Carolina, so neither mm -hmm. of us are based in LA. Um, and it is kind of a, a different, um, a different way of, of doing things, I guess, in your experience, have you found it to be more difficult not being in like one of the hubs? Like, I guess even Atlanta might be a hub now, but New York or LA, has that been difficult for you or have you enjoyed kind of being out of, out of it? No, I've kind of enjoyed being out of it. Um, I, I think yes, being in one of the hubs would be, uh, would probably, uh, my career would probably be a lot further ahead. Yeah. Not, you know, I mean, I'm happy where it is right now, but <laughs> yeah. I, I think it would have happened faster, but I, I did live, live in LA for, for five years, mm. but I kind of got stuck on a, in TV. Yeah. And that would just got a little bit soul destroying. Mm. And I'm not going to tell you what show it was, but <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us why it was soul destroying for you? Uh, it was a bad show. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think with TV, you know, you go in there for six or nine months or whatever. And yeah, 
you end up doing the same thing over and over again. And what I love about the job, especially with jumping onto commercials and stuff, is like every day, every day is different. Mm. And, and, and features, you know, have a finite length. And, right, right. It, you know, you, and you have to have the whole feature in your head all the time because you're, you're always jumping around the scenes and yeah. you have to match one day to the next day or you, you might shoot a scene three weeks apart and and there's there's a great satisfaction in, the, in that when when it when it works yeah. you know you're you're telling you're telling a story uh, and you are in tv as well but i just find it's it gets very repetitive yeah and yeah. you know it's great if you want to buy a house or something but you know it's <laughs> you, you make a lot of money at it but I'm not, I didn't get in this for the money. I, I, I do it because I, I right. have passion for it and I, I love doing it. Yeah. When, when I don't, I miss it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Has this year been hard for you? I know we talked a little bit about, um, you know, how much, but uh, yeah. has it been like, did you feel like a real dip when everything kind of hit in March? I, yeah, um, I did. I had just finished a feature with, with Rick, Link letter called Apollo Ten and a Half, which is a really interesting project. Mm. And uh, we finished just before South by Southwest shut down, and I kind of knew it was coming in a way because I had just gotten back from the UK, and it was already hitting there. Yeah, and my parents they'd been, you know, they'd been quarantined al already. I think like by the, by that point. Yeah. And then by the time we knew sci-fi was shut down, it's like, okay, this is, this is going to be bad, but I've been following it, following the whole thing and, you know, suspected it was going to, going to be bad. But so yeah, there was probably a few months in there or several months in there that were quite worrying. Yeah. And it's like, what else can I do? Well, you know, I'm pretty good at carpentry. I could do that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I just retreated to my wood shop and you know built some things, worked on the highs, and then this this other movie came up, I think, November, October, November, and that was a that was a real real lifesaver, mm. um, and uh, you know obviously by that point I knew not to spend any money <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> So, which is, which is the thing about being freelance is like, even when you're making money, you're like, mm, it's not going to last. Either. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that. Um, how, yeah. how long have you been in Austin, Shane? Oh, since 2001. Well, obviously there's a, obviously there's like a, like a relationship that you've built with Richard Linklater. Is that, did that, is there a story behind how you guys met in Austin? Or did you guys know each other before that? Or how did that come about? No, I, I we met. Um, I think we met on one of the first few years of boyhood um, as an operator because I started on that as an operator with uh, mm -hmm. Lee Daniel was a, was a DP on that uh, first of all, and uh, and then I think we did uh, a scanner darkly, which was a <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> really crazy shoot and and you know i was pretty young and i wouldn't say out of my depth but you know it was a great learning experience for me right yeah i was originally hired just as an operator rick says oh we don't need a dp and 
it, it <laughs> quickly transpired that we did need a DP and, you know, so I just basically stepped I, in. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was nobody there else to do it. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it was a super weird, interesting project. And I do have to it, ask, did, because if you haven't seen a scanner darkly, it does have, um, a very specific look that they built for the for the movie as far as how it was overlaid. Mm-hmm. So the shooting of it was had to be sort of obviously difficult, but did Richard like really know what he was doing when he was making that? Like the, the effect and, and what you guys, like how dialed in um, was everything as opposed to giving trust to sort of, oh, we'll, we'll fix it sort of later or it's going to look great or whatever. Uh he was very dialed in because he had done waking life with the same mm, process, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, albeit a, a little more um, primitive. So, so by, by that point, I think the software was, was where they wanted to be. Right. And uh, he knew exactly. I mean, there's things like he would like having like, he said like, let's shoot Keanu with his, his boots up on the table and, and, you know, shoot his boots, you know, here. So we have all these great um, textures on the boots. Yeah, so yeah. he was very, very aware of that. And the, the interesting thing about it is, is that um, what, when it came to the post process, you're like, there, there's, if you look at the raw footage, there's there's cables and C stands and lights and everything in the frame and uh, you yeah. know you just you tell the animators just don't paint <laughs> that in right. yeah don't paint that that's not meant to be there and I think I saw a BTS one time where everybody had their mics just on the outside of their shirt too just, just they did having, yeah and, and, some, <laughs> and uh, some of those mics are actually in the in the movie <laughs> because the, the animators don't know that they, you know, uh-huh. like, Oh, there's a little thing. I'll just, you know, grab that. Cause yeah. a lot of the time they were just grabbing stuff and tracing. Yeah. So that they don't know that's a mic. It could be pertinent to the story. And, uh, and, and there's, ca- there, there's cables on the floor that they drew into. <laughs> <laughs> how, how involved were you in, in the post processing? Were you like in the room when any of that was happening? Oh God, no, that it went on for, it went on for like a year Gosh. and it was like a little sweatshop in, in Rick's old office. It was like 20 guys crammed into a room and guys <laughs> and girls crammed into a room and just, you know, picking, picking these colors and putting which was a great thing. I did do a, a color correction pass on it. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, because what they do is, is pick the color that's on the screen and, the software just uses that. They don't. They don't necessarily choose their own colors, but they. But they did. They did animate line drawing and everything else. Um, I, I just did a the project I did back in February with Rick was, in a way, is going through a similar process. It's um, there's an Amazon Amazon show called um, I think it's called Undone, and it's animated and it's really beautifully a- animated. And we shot we shot the whole movie on green screen with mm. even very minimal props. Like the rooms were just taped out. Yeah. And uh, and then we had this sort of virtual set, very crude set, but um, you could look at the monitor and the set would be 
you could move around it. You could move the camera. Yeah. It, was, it was a really interesting, uh, another interesting process. I mean, you have to say about Rick, he's always, yeah. always challenging you to do something different. Right. This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. We had the chance to sit down with their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, to talk about why Musicbed exists and how they're helping creatives further their craft. We felt like there was all these indie filmmakers and a ton of indie musicians and they needed each other. Um, like we all know, like the best films are a marriage between the moving picture and music. I view it as an ongoing ecosystem that continues to you know, increase the value of art that continues to allow artists to support other artists. Thanks again to Musicbed for sponsoring this season of Good. As a good listener, you can get one month subscription free if you go to musicbed.com good. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Here's their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, again on what makes Film Supply the best stock footage resource for films. The footage being licensed is the footage coming out of passion projects from filmmakers, and, and it's because it is the most authentic cinematic and it's the it's all the stuff that all the filmmakers have put all their blood sweat and tears into and it shows like you look at a clip and you're like oh my gosh that's emotive i want to use that the guys that just go out there and shoot a day for stock like that's not who we are i mean that's not what we're about like we're about helping filmmakers fund passion projects and seeing the footage from these passion projects actually get used in commercial ways Thanks again to Film Supply for sponsoring this season of Good. With Film Supply, you can license stock footage from world-class filmmakers like El Ginter, Diego Contreras, Masio Frost, and more. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. Why do, why do you think that he sort of, um, why do you think you guys have stuck together f- through so many films in a lot of years? Like, what do you think that relationship sort of has become uh it's kind of funny because i you know i don't talk to rick outside of the you know it's not like like we have phone calls and you know outside of doing a movie but i think the thing with him is he finds somebody and which is the case with you know production designer and, and and costume designer uh who've been with him for for so long that he just find somebody that he can say, Hey, this is yours now. Here's what I want. Go, go run with it. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what I find with him. And he'll tell you what he doesn't like. Um, but you know, uh, sometimes it's just like, yeah, looks good. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you know, he, he's not, you know, he just go, God, that looks great. You know, it's more, more like, yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> it, 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 it's really disconcerting when you first work with them because you're like, mm. what? Oh, shit, I'm going to get fired. This is the biggest <laughs> biggest job of my career. And it's like, no. So it's you're always sort of – you have to get into his head a little bit, which is kind of hard because we, um, we don't we, – we just have an understanding on, on what what it should be. And, you know, sometimes it's not quite, but, you know, most of the time you just sort of do do what you feel you want to do. And I work with a production designer a lot. And uh, uh, Bruce is, is just, uh, Bruce Curtis, he's, he's just an amazing production designer. And, and really, you know, I always say to him, it's like, I just, I just shoot what you build me. It's right. It's always it's always amazing. Uh, 
yeah. and the, the stuff that he did in uh, Where'd You Go Bernadette, you know, he got into, he did an article for Architectural Digest based wow. on that, oh, wow. <laughs> you know. <laughs> he's not, a, not an architect, but he's, he's just brilliant in that sense. So that makes it super easy to just go and go and shoot what he gives you. I mean, he, he's very aware of what the camera needs to see and how the camera moves, but then of course you have to block it. And Rick loves putting five or six people talking in a frame. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that's always hard. <laughs> somebody, somebody was asking me the other day, it's like, what, what's the thing that you hate shooting? And they had a great one and it was, people standing in doorways having a conversation and that that is the classic but i i think people eight people sitting around a dinner table is mm. uh, i mean you could take you could shoot that for three days yeah everybody has to have an eye line and i and, and especially with rick's is his his scripts are dialogue heavy yeah. so you know and every every character is important and you don't you don't really know the way it's going to be put together until later, um, you know, his editor, Sandra, who's been again with him forever. Um, he just, he hands it off to her and she shows him cuts every now and again and you drop in. But like you say, it's like, I think he just has a level of trust with people that you have to, you have to run with, you know, and, and he trusts you. So you have to trust yourself. So you have to, you're like, okay, I'm making the right decision here. Don't, you know, instead of second guessing yourself, right. which I did initially, you know, I was on back to um, Scanner Darkly, you know, I was lighting close-ups because that's what I did. You know, you do the wide shot and then you move in, you light the close-ups. And he was like, no, this, just light, light the room. And hmm. he actually says, said to me, it's like, okay, Storaro, let's go. You know, so I was like... <laughs> Quit dicking around, and you know he wants his time with the actors, and he wants his yeah. time time to, because this the script, you know, his scripts are initially they're, they're some somewhat of a hard read. They're they're dry, but you know, and then once the actors get them, um, they take on a life, and throughout the process of shooting the scene, they take on another life, you know, right. and and it's and the one thing he has taught me is, you know, respect, not that I didn't have it, but even more so respect for the artist's craft. Yeah. It's like, you know, always respect our actors because that's, it. if you don't, if they can't deliver it, then it doesn't matter how good the movie looks. It's right. It's still going to be shit. So sorry. that's always the, that's always <laughs> the Richard Linklater like trick. It's like, it's the movies are very dry. Like they're very, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of them are very still. They're very just, conversation mm -hmm. with characters but they're so fascinating at the same time it's it is interesting how he he can sell out to it, it it's interesting to know that the time with the actors is sort of um the priority to him you know absolutely like, yeah um what was like what was the do you remember the first time you got to see sort of like the full cut of boyhood and like seeing that sort of come to fruition and like oh my god yeah what was that like um could you describe it to people who who haven't seen kind of the the what you guys did? Uh, okay, uh, so over the course of it, it was always called when we were working on it, it was called the 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 twelve year project. 
Mm. It only became Boyhood on release. So um, he knew it was going to be over 12 years from the beginning. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, it was actually like 11 years, but we, you know, we, we stuck with that story. But I think it might be 12 <laughs> years. I think we might have missed a year or something like that. But some years we'd shoot. Yeah. It was always about important events within the boys' lives. So um, I think the first thing I might have shot for him was um, the Harry Potter book release. Um, and that was a case of like, hey, can you shoot this? This is happening at the bookstore. And we're going to have a little piece. And it was, you know, it was maybe 30 seconds or so, a minute on screen, but it, it was an important part within this boy's life. Right. So, yeah, so we'd shoot, uh, getting back to your original question, um, I'd get a call a couple of weeks beforehand and say, you know, are you you're free to shoot this week? And it's like, yeah, all, I was lucky that I always always was lucky or unlucky because I wasn't working, but one of, one of the, <laughs> you know, uh, I think I kind of lucky now these days because I'm still riding that train, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we'd get a call and then there'd be like five pages of script. Mm. And I think really only Rick and Vince, the AD who he works super close with, um, really had the whole picture in their mind. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard when you jump into, you know, you don't have a script, you don't have last year's script, you don't have mm. future script, you don't know where it's going. So yeah. you, you sh- you're shooting just just elements and you're like, how the hell is this going to go together? Um, you know, the obvious way is like, oh, it's 2000 and whatever. And that never happened. And then when I did see the movie, it's like, God, that's, that is so freaking brilliant. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and I'm sure he had it in his head all along or, or maybe he didn't, maybe Sandra, the editor did that, but it's like, that's the beautiful thing about it is that it just, just flows along and everybody's older and yeah, things are different. And, you know, and luckily we all, we shot everything on film, which was his insistence. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, some years I was like, should we shoot on Alexa? And he's like, no, I want, I want the whole thing on film. And uh, we actually started a project back last year or the year before, now that it's January, that was another, he wanted to do this 20-year project musical. And uh, he said, I've, I've talked to Kodak and they said, film's going to be around 20 years, so I want to shoot on film. And so, <laughs> okay, I'll find, I'll find my light meter and yeah, exactly. <laughs> try and remember what I used to do. <laughs> Just trying to keep it consistent over the 12 years, what were some of the, the yeah. elements that you were battling? I need to be political about this. Um, no, I mean, I was hired to do to do a job and I do it my way i yeah. wanted to make it i wanted to make it better yeah um i think this thing that people it's a word i hate but it's uh, it, it works i wanted to make it more cinematic than his usual work yeah and rick's usual work you know i wanted to put a bit of style onto it 
Yeah. And, and, and push, push Rick a little bit more in that direction. And, you know, in the same way that he pushes me. And yeah. I think that's in working with him then and, and doing that, you know, it was like, Oh, I get to shoot the next year. And, Oh, cool. I get to shoot the next year. I was like, um, uh, and then I get to shoot a movie, you know? And so it was, uh, cause, cause he's, he's gone through a lot of DPs in his, yeah. in his career. Usually they get one chance. So I, I guess I did something right. You know, <laughs> um, it's interesting. Cause like the fixtures even changed. I mean, the fix, like everything that you're using from, unless you like committed, did you guys commit to using like, okay, we're only going to use, you know, Mo Richards or we're only going to use, you know, this fix to like keep it the same or did you just let it, you just let it roll? No, no, that's, you use, well, you, you got to realize that this is a, this was a, a pretty small budget project. Right. And I think we had the same budget um, from the first year through to the last year. Mm. So you can imagine that the, but it, seems like the budget actually got smaller and smaller and smaller but it was you know what they did at the start was just divide it up into 12 payments and uh unfortunately you know 10 years later that same amount of money doesn't buy as much as it as it used to so to be honest i took whatever was available it's like give me my my big lights what do you got in the shop um and it was the same with 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 Panavision, um, at the beginning, we were definitely taking what was not getting used because people were still shooting a lot of film. Now, as that went on, the equipment actually got better mm-hmm. because it was sitting on the shelf and everybody was shooting Alexa. So that was actually advantageous to us. And, yeah. uh, and Panavision were great to us. You know, we started off and, you know, we might have had a, movie cam or something like that at the start with all cook five to ones. And then by the end of it, we had a, you know, Panavision millennium with whatever mm. lenses you wanted. And, and I made some, because I knew everything was been digitized. You know, I made some choices in some years because, you know, we had done, what was it? Oh, I think we, we in the middle of that we we did. I was out operating on um, on Bernie, and <laughs> uh, and that was great, great film. I wish I'd shot it, <laughs> but uh, uh, and we had shot we had shot Alexa on that, and then I you know I think it must have been a month later shot another piece of Boyhood, and we were just we were shooting in a van and we were running out of film. I was shooting four hundred foot mags. And we were getting further and further away from loading. It's like, I, I, you know, I was like, Rick, I am out of film. And we got, we're 20 miles away from base camp. And he was like, he's like, this is the fucking dark ages. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's six minutes of film. It's like, yeah. you know, you know, as well as I do, Rick, it's like, it, so it going back to that, I think a subsequent year I shot, uh, you know, with the same budget, film budget, and I know he's going to blow it. Um, so I shot, you know, I think two perf, um, 
modified camera, which, you know, yeah. doesn't give you any wiggle room at top and bottom. Cause usually, you know, you're shooting widescreen. It's, you got, you got all of this with, with two pair there's, 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 there's nothing. There's, there's nothing. If there's a hair in the gate, you're yeah. screwed. But, yeah. <laughs> but it also gives us, I don't know, 30, 30, 40% more film or something. You yeah. know, so, and, uh, I did read something that the assistant assistant editor had said. It's like, yeah, there was everything that was three perf, four perf, two perf, metamorphic, whatever. Uh, but that's necessary. I, I'd rather allow him to have the again the time with the actors and the amount of footage. Um, to get what he wants, you know. And then I guess going back to his, like that's my job is to give him what he wants. And yeah, that's what I try and do unless it's financially impossible. Yeah. One of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen is called Tim's Vermeer, which you, <laughs> you're the director of photography on, but I, I, I have to imagine there's a story of how you met Penn and Teller and how you got involved in that project. But what was your role in that? And how did it, how did you sort of follow that whole documentary? You know, I'm trying to, it's real hard for me. I, I'm trying to think of the uh, the initial call on that. And obviously somebody, before, they were looking, the producer, Farley Ziegler, uh, she was looking for somebody with a red camera in Texas um, to start the documentation on this. And, uh, she probably went, called one of the rental houses or something like that, and they referred, and that's probably where it came from. Uh, apologized to anybody who actually did refer it, referred it to me, but I don't know, <laughs> a long time ago. And uh, so I had one of the first, the, the red one, uh, noisy heater thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'll give it to Red. They, they created a camera that, upended the market and, yeah yeah you know it was a very stressful camera but um it allowed me to to shoot that documentary so i'd go down getting back to tim's Vermeer, i'd go down uh to san antonio where tim is based and uh whatever he was doing that day you know just whether it was knocking a wall through or building Vermeer's studio in in a warehouse in san antonio industrial estate <laughs> um i'd go down and document it and drive drive maybe stay down there or drive back up at night and I, I, it was a really fascinating job to work on because tim i mean he's absolutely brilliant for one thing and he can talk about anything under the sun and uh what he was trying to do was insane, <laughs> but he persevered with it and went down a, a lot of dead ends. But, you know, his mind, his creative mind, um, just worked his way through it. And I, and I, you know, for people who haven't seen the movie, I, I think where he ended up is mixed makes a lot of sense because um, uh, you know i i almost went to college for 
art. Um, uh, I, you know, I was I was big in art history, so I, I knew a lot of the references that he was he was he was using. But then he, once once he got into optics and lenses and and mm. and, and and light uh, and the effect of light on on essentially copying a, a, a scene, you know, it it just you know, and he would call me up and he goes, uh, "What do you think? You know, what do you think of this or what do you think of this lens?" And, yeah, because he he started getting into he bought himself a, a red and he started getting into <laughs> and, uh, but fa- fascinating person and and uh, it was a wonderful um, wonderful job to work on and uh, uh, Taylor is uh, another you know, he's a good friend of Tim's and he's just again a super intelligent person yeah and, and a fascinating person and, and I can see why they're friends because uh, Taylor. You know, he loves the, the the mechanics and the sleight of hand of of, mm-hmm. of magic, and and studies that intensely, and has studied it his whole life. And you know, the the two the two are two peas in a pod, really. They right. just have a fascination with something. It does. I mean, if if anybody hasn't seen Tim's premiere, it's one of the. Uh, if you love um, art or art history and sort of someone destroying the love of art history. It's like, <laughs> uh, Tim's and Mayors are basically about the optics that people used to use uh, in order to make these highly detailed, um, highly like highest resolution, like higher than the human mm-hmm. eye. Um, yeah. And Tim basically figured out how they did it and was mm-hmm. able to reproduce uh, a very famous Vermeer um, from, I forget what year it was really, I mean, thousands of years ago. Um, or at least a thousand years ago, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, sixteenth, um, uh, century. Yeah, and he was able to create a, a better replica than the original through the same technique that he basically found um, through engineering through his like basically like retro engineered like the technology mm-hmm. for me was yeah, and and it's fascinating to watch it all come together, <laughs> but it also feels like magic, which I feel like it, yeah. it felt like the the perfect you know, Penn and Teller, Teller directing that, it felt like the perfect mix of, of you're, you're creating you, this thing that felt impossible. Like Vermeer had to have this great mind, this, this perfect eye, this, you know, <laughs> but he didn't, you know, it's a trick just like anything else and anybody can do it. It's just, do you have the time? Want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you still think about like, okay, he's replicating this Vermeer, right? But Vermeer <laughs> had to do the OG. He had to block it the way that it was. He had to art direct it the way that it was. Like, mm-hmm. there's still magic. There's still like mastery to it. Oh, completely. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's still a huge talent there. No, I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I think Tim would be the first person to, right, to to try not to discount his his talent. Right. Uh, just the actual, talent. The actual like nature of how you actually get this quality. You're able to break it. But I did want to know. You know, was there any with Teller directing it and working with you throughout it, did he approach it any differently than a director would, you know, like how did he talk about it in a different way? Is, is there anything that you gathered from that experience? No, because, you know, as Teller, you know, he's done so many shows, he knows how to direct. Hmm. And, you know, and I, it was always important to, to have certain um, 
attempt, shall we say, on on, on camera, uh, because we didn't know where it was going. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know if it would, if it would work. Uh, Tim didn't know if it would work. Yeah, and, and he went on several rabbit rabbit holes. You know, it's like, and you know, Hockney David Hockney had written a book on this be, beforehand and explored it, but it never really went where 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 Tim actually ended up nobody it was all theory at that point right and and he discovered that some of the theory was wrong because it it couldn't work he couldn't get the resolution that he wanted or the light was changing or you can't project something on a piece of paper and then paint on it because the color changes mm. uh, it, and you know, so those are those are the avenues avenues that he explored, and you know, for somebody who ends up wanting to be true to it, he, he was he was afraid of the art historians, and rightly so, because they'll rip you a new one, <laughs> uh, and uh, because that's what I'm saying. He he wasn't just he wasn't saying Vermeer was a hack. He was right. just saying this is how we do it. And it's actually quite brilliant. And he figured this out and nobody else did. Yeah. Uh, Vermeer, Vermeer I'm talking about. And of right. course, Tim after the fact. Yeah. Um, I do think about that all the time. Like the originator of like the, the, the brain power of someone who can dissect how to precisely emulate what I'm seeing in real life onto the, it, like the the originator of that idea had to be someone so mm -hmm. i mean out of this world brilliant you know what i mean yeah and he, he didn't actually paint that many he doesn't right. have a it large body so of work <laughs> i know <laughs> so how, how many days did tim paint the replica oh gee i think i'd have to look at the documentary i think it was like four or five hundred or something yeah. oh <laughs> over God. a year of, of daily painting it was. It was. Gee, what what was the process I, like like for you? I mean, entering in and then beginning to capture something that you, I mean, you know, just, I guess, like most documentaries, yeah. but entering into something that it, you didn't know, there is no script, of course, you know, uh, no. how did that, how did that inform, you know, kind of, uh, you know, obviously different from like a, a scanner darkly, like where everything is very precise. Yeah. Well, you know, documentaries just about, documentaries about observation and, yeah. you know, and you know it's about a character and Tim's a character. And so you just, you hope that you're there for the triumphs and the failures, yeah. you know, and, and you have to be on the ball enough to, to be able to capture that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it was, was set up. I, I wouldn't be there every day. Uh, I'd go down there and it's like, oh, we're, we're knocking the wall through to create this window and uh or i'm building the you know i'm printing the paper for the back wall or yeah. just or i'm building a chair that's the thing about him is like he didn't send out and get a chair built he actually cut his lathe in half and made it longer and built these chair legs and it's like why are you doing that <laughs> 
uh, you could probably get this off the internet or, you know, but that's the thing with him is he wanted, he wants it to be right. And he doesn't want to have anybody say, Oh, you, you know, you cheated here. Right. Cause he, he didn't cheat or if he cheated, then Famir cheated. And that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that'd be that. but yeah, it's you know, a documentary. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of sitting around, but it, it's really sort of, a lot of it's luck to be in there. And this, this was a more structured documentary. Than, yeah. 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 You know, something, goodness, what, you know, you, you see something like, let's say planet earth or something, you yeah, know, that, right. you know, you're just, you're there at the right time and you're very, yeah, yeah. very lucky or you're very, per, you have a lot of perseverance. Yeah. If so, there's, if there's like a hierarchy, Shane, you know, obviously talking with, you know, about working with uh link later, yeah. You are trying to like kind of level up like the cinematic imagery that you're bringing to the table for him uh-huh. uh, for something like this, you know, if there is like a hierarchy of like um, being there for the right moment or like making sure that like we're capturing the right things or, you know, really b- being able to bring anything kind of cinematic to it. Where, where do you see like your biggest responsibility lying in a project like, like 10 Vermeer? Well, the, the biggest responsibility there is to get it, on tape or yeah. on, on card, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, uh, that's a huge responsibility. Uh, I, I keep going back to, to knocking that wall through because that's only going to happen once. Right. Yeah. And, and right. that's the bloody thing with documentaries. And so that stuff only happens once. And whenever you, you can't recreate that. So when you have a camera that's, you know, sometimes touch and go at the time yeah. it was, you know, this was <laughs> yeah. like 2008 or whatever. Um, did I press the button? Did I double press the button? Especially with that two, that two minute uh, boot up time on the red one. Oh button. God. Yeah. So, yeah. So you just have to be sure that you're ready for that thing. And um, uh, that that's the, the main responsibility is, um, strange as it may seem just getting it on film and you know right. that let the editor figure it out afterwards i mean there's a lot of stuff that you shoot that's just like this is boring but it's boring until they say something on or until something happens or something yeah. breaks or you know you could be filming painting and then you know gust of wind blows blows the whole contraption over or something like that but yeah. if you can get that sort of thing um it's fantastic. And, and, and Tim was very aware of that too. You know, he, he had like four little video eight cameras or something like that around him every day. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so he did capture stuff that you could not anticipate. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, so he's very aware of what he needed. And he's very aware that, Oh, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of hours of boring shit. You know, so (laughs) (laughs) God help the editor, you know, man, it's a, it's a strange documentary because it's not a standard documentary. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about a character. It's about what could have been a Don Quixote character, but you know, (laughs) got that windmill in the end. Don't forget, this season of Good is sponsored by Musichead. 
Go to musicbed.com to check out over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music. And remember, as a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. And do not forget to take advantage of features like shoots and scenes. Craft an entire narrative with extensive collections featuring the same talent and settings. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com.